You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 52 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. It's been a little while, almost a year uh, since we did a proper episode. Uh, the last one was with Nick Drain in May of 2019. A lot's been going on since then. Uh, as you may or may not be able to tell, uh, thanks to this backdrop, but we're in a slightly different environment. Uh, and of course, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we're actually not doing interviews uh, in a studio with the guest uh, physically in person, but remotely. Obviously, that comes with its own challenges, but also the bonus, of course, means that we can invite a bunch of guests that don't actually need to come to London, so it should uh, widen the spectrum of guests that we can get. Um, the only other thing to actually say before we get into this, of course, because it is done over it's done over Skype, um, the, it's reliant on the internet connection, and the internet isn't that strong in here, so there are a few times where it does drop in and out, um, but if you bear with it, You'll get to it. Uh, done. I've listened back to it and you can still work out what's being said. There's just a few moments which gets a little bit frustrating, but I'm going to try and work on sorting that out. Um, but yeah, this week's show is with Ogo Adegboy, a good one to jump back in with. Uh, former GB starting point guard, um, close to a 10-year career, and we go into everything, ranging from how he first got into basketball with the legendary Bricks and Top Cats program, uh, going out to the States, Laurenburg Academy and Finley Prep. He was actually part of the first uh, basketball uh, program at Finley Prep, which became a sort of legendary uh, factory of uh, prospects uh, in the States before his college career, both at JUCO and then NCAA uh, Division One, uh, And then, of course, yeah, onto the pros, and GB and everything else so yeah super interesting conversation he's a great guy and um, really opened up in this one so yeah thoroughly enjoyable I think it's a good one to to return to the to the show on as always if you want to support Hoops Fix our Patreon is still up still surviving if you go to patreon.com forward slash Hoops Fix that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s-f-i-x there you can sign up to give us a monthly donation of as much or as little as you'd like to help support the work that we're doing to try and help grow British basketball please go and check it out and if you don't want to stretch the money, but you can take a couple of seconds out of your day to give us a rating and review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated to help the podcast uh, grow far and wide. Uh, only other thing, if you want to give me feedback, um, if you want to give me suggestions for guests, if you want to tell me what you think about the show, please drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com, or you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at hoopsfix. Uh, I try and reply to every single one. Anyway. That is enough from me. Here's the return of the Hoops Fix podcast, episode 52, with Ogo Adegboy. Ogo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, uh, yeah, obviously a lot to go into. I know we're, we're under some uh, little time restrictions here uh, in terms of 60 minutes, and sometimes I can't talk too much, but I guess the, the kind of obvious place to start is the beginnings and kind of how you first uh, ended up picking up a basketball and sort of getting into the sport. Growing up in London, it was always usually football, you know, but then I took a liking to rugby, like, I want to say like around year seven, year eight, never really liked basketball like that. But then I um, I was I was good at rugby, you know, because I was fast, I could just run and, you know, it was, didn't take much skill, so to speak, you know. But then um, I broke my one of my fingers playing rugby and next thing you know, um, my coach asked me if I wanted to try basketball and... And he was like, it's kind of like rugby, but, you know, you just have to, you know, there's a little bit more involved. And eventually, I um, I ended up at Brixton. And at Brixton, um, that's where everything changed. 
how how did you you end up in Brixton? Because I, I did speak to uh, Matthew briefly before jumping on this okay. interview, and he told me to he told me to say that he was the he was the talent scout that brought you in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he was. Um, I think I saw him at one of the, like the street border called the UK events, and he was doing. And he told me like to come down to Brixton on a Wednesday and Friday night, and yeah, that's how. That's literally how I heard about Brixton. And before then, I don't even think I, I had ever been to Brixton before. So, so yeah. And what were those early experiences like at, at, at Brixton? Oh, man, it was, you know, first thing I remember when I walked in, it was just like this community. You know, I could see like kids on one end and like, you know, kids my, my age on another end on one far court. And in the close, like closer, I could see like older, older guys, like, you know, adults and older teenagers. And yeah, I just, it was just like, it was daunting for me because I'd never seen anything like that. You know, like in one building, like everybody just playing sports. And I was like, oh wow, this looks, looks like it's going to be cool. And my, to my surprise, I hated it. <laughs> because when, I, when you first get there, you know, if you know anything about Brixton and back then, you know, with Jimmy, it was like, he puts you with the kids, like with the babies, <laughs> and it doesn't matter how old you are. He, you're gonna be, you're gonna be with the babies. So that was, that was like, and I was there for weeks. I remember I was there for a few weeks, and I don't know if it was a test or if it was like a, you know, see what kind of guy you are, character, you know. And that's, you know, I didn't like it, but I kept coming back, you know. And eventually, you know, I ended up loving it. So how old were you at this point? Um, I want to say I was. 14, 15. Okay. So yeah, pretty late. And what were those early interactions like with Jimmy? Oh man, it was just like, just terrified of him. You know, just just the way his voice, how deep, how loud it was, and how he doesn't even let you get a word out. You know, he's, you know, he's still. I mean, like all the whole time I knew him, he never called me my real name. He always called me Ogu. <laughs> even though I told him my real name, but it was like. He was just, he's just a personality, you know, he was just, it, at first it was just like really, like I was, you know, as I said, I was scared of him, but then eventually I realized that, you know, he, I loved being around him because he was like, he was funny. If any, anybody knew anything about Jimmy, he was hilarious and it was just, you know, he was a guy who was always like talking, talking in your ear. Got annoying sometimes, but, you know, he knew so much, so it was a joy to be around. So obviously you, that generation of, of Brixton guys is kind of like the group of, of you know, you, Justin, Matthew, uh, Eric, and yeah. I mean, and Loire was probably around then as well. Was he already no. gone? He had gone. He had gone, but I always heard about him. Heard about him every single day from Jimmy or from someone there. So, okay. yeah. And so what were those kind of, do you have any sort of memories of, of those practices and kind of how you guys bonded? Obviously, you all went on to do sort of great things, uh, you know. Man, Justin doesn't remember this, but I told him, I mean, he knows he knows the story. But first time I met him, I tried to speak to him and he would not talk to me. Like he would he would not talk to me. I would like, you know, approach him and like say something. I can't remember what I said to him. But he wouldn't he wouldn't um he would just ignore me. I was just like, like what's up with this? He was just very you know, just he just seemed very arrogant and he wouldn't speak to me. And um obviously there he got to know me and you know eventually opened up and that's that's kind of how he is even up to today if he doesn't know you it's like yeah <laughs> but um apart from that everybody was you know moji everybody was just so welcoming and everybody was just 
it was it was easy, you know, to be around. If you worked hard, you know, if you did your best, if you tried your best, it was like it was it, it was it was perfect. And in terms of competitions that that you were playing in um, in those early days with the, with the Top Cats, uh, what you know what what um, sort of leagues were you playing in? You know, were you guys all on the same team when you're talking about you, Matthew, Justin, like? Yeah, kind of. What was the setup then? So my first year. Now this is like it's faint in my memory, but it's like my first year. I remember I played with Matthew, Justin, Keon. I never played with Eric. I think Eric was gone too. And I don't remember what league we played in, but I know I played my first year. I only played like under sixteen, I think. And then my my next year, I think that's when Matthew and Justin left. That's when I played. I think under 18, under 16, under 18, and men's, you know, so I was like, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of, you know, competition, and it was daunting at times, you know, because I was like, I, I didn't know if I knew what I was doing, you know, but I just knew, just work hard, and that was literally how, you know, that was like the pathway for me. Was it, was, so, it clear at so, that, yeah. was it clear at that point that you kind of had a, a talent for it? No, I was just, I enjoyed it. It was more like just like, you know, it was it was a community. And anytime you have a community, you know, you get hooked. So I was just, it just, I just kept coming back and it just kept going on and on. And, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really, I mean, everybody my age wanted to go to America, you know, but for me, I, initially it was more just like, I really liked it and it was like a getaway for me. So, you know, it wasn't until like, I think, in between like the next year where i realized that you know what i'm i could i could be like if these guys can go why can't i go you know and i just worked super hard spoke to so many guys and yeah that's how it that's literally how it started for me so the move to the u.s obviously you ended up yeah. it was it was Laurenberg academy first right was that the first place you yeah Laurenberg in institute Laurenberg yeah. institute uh, yeah, I've been told there's some pretty funny stories from from, <laughs> from Lauren. But so yeah. yeah, can you kind of re- like how how did the move happen first of all? Like how did you actually end up getting there? And then kind of what, what were your experiences like? Okay, so um, now I have a hundred stories from Lauren, but um, so prior to Lauren, as I said, I was speaking to a lot of guys. One of the guys I was speaking to was Sean James. You remember Sean James? He played at Brixton. I think it was before you came on the scene. Okay. Sean James, tall, braids, doesn't have braids anymore. But um, he's an ex-Brixton guy. and He was a JUCO. He was at Martin County in Kansas. And his coach got a job in, in Laurenburg. And he wanted, I guess he, he needed an extra guard. So I was speaking, it's funny enough, I was speaking to my coach, like, yeah, I could put in a good word for you. And I was like, sure, of course. And back then, you know, it's, it's important to notice that back then there was no, like, there was no internet like we have today, you know, where you can just send your film out and stuff. But it was more like, it was word of mouth. And maybe you have tapes. I didn't have no tapes. I was just, just hungry to play, you know. And Sean um, put in a good word for me. And the next thing I knew, the guy offered me a scholarship. <laughs> yeah, crazy like that, you know, and... I don't know if you want me to tell you some of the stuff in yeah, Lombard, yeah, like yeah, get into it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> some of this stuff I, I think back on like how this stuff happened. But um so when I first got there, 
quick story. First got there, I um, I think my flight got there like 6 p.m. But I told the coach I was going to be there at five uh, at 6.30, just so in case, you know what I'm saying? Just so I can make a good impression. I'm on time, blah, 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 even though I don't fly a plane. Um, <laughs> um, I get there at 6 and I didn't have a phone. So I, I asked the flight, you know, flight attendant if somebody could help me because I've never been to America before and I needed, you know, to use the phone. Um, so she called, she called him, the coach. His name is Mark Shu, never forget. And she called him and he um, he said, oh yeah, we're just half an, like, because Laurenburg is 30 minutes away from Fayetteville. That's it's a 30 minute drive. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm about to come, come pick him up. Cool. Um, any of the oh, like any of the hoopers who know this, like when you first go to America, you overpack. I had two big suitcases, like for for what? And I'm dragging his two big suitcases uh, to the airport, the little airport. And um, shoe, he, he doesn't turn up. So this is like six p.m. and like nine nine p.m. I, I have another woman call and like yo, like she's like, what are you doing here? The airport's closing in thirty minutes. One of the small airports. And she's like, you know, I'm going to call him. And she goes on the phone and she just goes off on him. Like, I have a kid from London. He's been waiting for three hours, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm coming, coming right now. He doesn't show up. So at this point, the airport's closed. So um, I fall asleep. <laughs> I fall asleep on the couch. <laughs> I'm going to sleep one of the couches in the, in the airport, like on the outside. And at like 2 a.m., I hear a loud horn beep. Like, I'm in America for the first time, two big suitcases, not knowing what's going on. And he's like, yo, hurry up. <laughs> he tells me. And at the time, I'm drowsy. I'm, like, just waking up. And I put my suitcase in the, my, su- um, my suitcase in his car. I hop in, and we go over to, to Laurenburg. And it's like, so I can't see anything. And he has a nice apartment. And he's like, oh, yeah, you can crash here. And I'm thinking, oh, this is probably one of the places I'm going to stay, like the dorm or something. And as I'm walking in, I'm I'm stepping on humans. There's like there's, there's people laying on the floor. I'm like, what is this? Found out later on that's like those are his favorite players. They stay with him. Weird stuff. So I stay like on an airbed, fall you know, fall straight asleep. Wake up the next morning, and he's like, I'm going to take you to to your dorm. I'm thinking, is it okay? Like, you know, I don't. I, we don't speak. We don't say. He doesn't ask me about my flight. He doesn't say nothing to me. Next thing you know, we um we drive down to Laurenburg, and as we're pulling up there, he's like, "We're here," and I'm like, "Wow!" It looked literally like a desert. It, it looked like like a deserted. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It looked like a. It's just abandoned, abandoned like um, fields with like just destroyed buildings, like one, like a worn, torn area. That's the best way to describe it. Like I can't describe it anyway, any better way than that. And I got down and I was just thinking to myself, like this must be a misunderstanding, you know, because this is meant to be a prep school. And my idea of prep school was like Blair Academy or South Kent, where Matthew and Justin went. I think myself like. Something is not right, you know. Nigerian means thinking this is a scam, <laughs> you know. But it's obviously Sean that told me about this guy, so I'm like, okay, what's going on? 
I go in there and it really, at this point, you know, when you go through something traumatic in your mind, you try to look for a way out. Like, nah, like this is not so bad or like, nah, it's, it's cool. Like this is what you want it. You know, you start to almost try to normalize it as best you can. It wasn't working. And I realized like, and if there was a movie, the camera zoomed into my face and I realized like, like I was in trouble as soon as I got to my room. <laughs> Like as soon as like that's when the camera zoomed into my face and I was like, wow. And it was just just animals everywhere, like stray dogs, stray cats, bats, everything. It was a whole mess. And I, I you know, I had my first roommate of Carolina and it was just like, what is this? It was it felt like prison. And you know, every night summarizing because I could tell you a thousand stories, but um, every night was like somebody tried to break into your room and steal your stuff. Yeah. I used to sleep with all my clothes and everything from my suitcase, my two suitcases, <laughs> sleep with all my stuff like as a pillow. And it was just traumatic. So did you last, you know, did was... you last the whole season there? No. Like it was like, I was there for one semester. So I was there till around Christmas time and, um, yeah, then I then that's when it was like I, I had to get up, I had to get out there. Like I had to like, you know, I was making calls and, you know, at the time, you know, Luar's agent, you know, I was speaking to him and I was telling he like he heard about the school and people hearing about it just like you're hearing about it doesn't do it justice. You know, you don't really, you can't really catch the smell literally of the place, you know. So it was like, I I, I called him and I was like, listen, I I need help. Like I don't. I'd rather go back home. This is, you know, this is was hell for me. You know, as a teenager going, I had no friends, I had no money, I had nothing. So um, he used to send me like boxes of food. You know, he would send me like this big box of like snacks and ramen noodles. I would eat them without even cooking them. Like, and oh yeah, that's nothing. There was no food. <laughs> so, yeah, there was no food there. So yeah, it was, it was a mess. Two toilets for the whole dorms. No toilet seat, no toilet door, shower curtain for the toilet. <laughs> Sounds like a movie, but um, very bad one. But um, yeah, eventually I was just like, yeah, I, I, I'd rather go home than be here, you know. Like the this whole basketball thing is not for me. Like this, yeah. So, but then eventually he um, he he flew me out to Chicago to stay with Lou and just look for another school, you know, and that took. That took about a month, a month and a half. And that's how went through probably over 50 schools that said yes and then no. Or then just flat said no. Some of them being taken to international students. And it was tough. It was just like, because every day it was just like, I was just existing. You know, I wasn't <laughs> doing anything with my life. Like, it was just like, is this ever going to happen for me? And yeah. And even when it does happen, I'm out of shape. I can't work out. <laughs> you know, I can't really you know, function, but eventually that's how we found, you know, Finley Prep. And I'm right in thinking that you ended up, were you like part of Finley Prep's first actual team? Yes, I was. Right, because Finley Prep obviously yeah. ended up becoming a bit of a powerhouse and sort of renowned yeah. for producing players, right? And so you were right, part right, of that right. first, first cohort. Yeah, so um, the coach, so the coach who was the last coach before they, you know, happened with them, the last coach, he, um, Rodney Haddix, he got he broke his arm or his leg, but he had already committed to Miami, Ohio University. So 
Finley wanted another guard and here I was in Chicago and I don't even know how the whole thing happened, but it happened and they ended up taking a taking a chance on me and I went there and I'm, I'm friends with the coaches right now. So it was crazy. It was crazy how that happened. The timing was, was ridiculous. And how was your experience there in comparison? Oh man, like night and day. You know, it was... If you know anything about Vegas, it was like I didn't really care so much that it was Vegas, but I just cared that it was sound. You know, I could get food, I could I could have a good night's rest without worrying about somebody trying to bring it to, bring it to my room. You know, it was just it was it, it was great, and the coaches there they were great. It was tough to adjust to because it was militant, like in terms of like you have to make your bed. If you don't make your bed, the whole team runs miles in the Vegas heat. Like it was. It was tough. You have to sit in front of the class. You have to do your work. You can't just you can't skip not one class. You can't slip not one. If you skip one, that's yeah, everybody's finished. <laughs> so it was it was tough. Like, but once I adjusted to it, I, I was just happy that I was able to. It was it was things were done the right way, and that was huge. I learned, but I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, you know, there was no gate. Anybody could just walk in. It was. And of course, we didn't have no food. You know, it was madness. So, so yeah. On on the court, did you find like how did you find the transition from sort of the UK to the US? Like, what were the big differences that you noticed, or did you find it relatively easy? Or everything, like the for me, it was like I was playing a different sport. Like playing in the UK, you know, and I, and I say that to a lot of guys even today, like people or kids who are good at here in the UK are average or maybe below average in, in the US, you know, and it's hard to convey that because as a man, your ego is just, you know, it's, it's tough to be real, you know, but anybody who's been to America has had that culture shock, you know, and I, I'm, I'm happy I was able to get that, you know, at, at a young age, at that high school level where it was just like, whoa, you know, like you think you're good and you get there and it's just like, you know, it's it was tough. Like I was, I, I remember one story. It was in Laurenburg. I think it was my first or second practice in Laurenburg. I made a friend there, and we're going to the, we're going to walk into the practice. And like we're we're cool kids from New York. We're just we're cool. We're just walking, and we're talking. He's like, "Oh, you're from London, blah blah." And as soon as we get to to practice, he was guarding me, and he was cussing my mom. He was like in my face like this. And I was like, bro, we, but we just walked here together, you know, we're friends, you know. But then I realized, like, yo, it's it's war over there, like, and you have to be able to talk, you know. I, I don't think kids in the U in the UK are not like anywhere anywhere in terms of talk. You're playing, like, I'm talking not just trash talking, but actual like just like just you know, it's intimidating. If you're not used to it, intimidating when you have a, someone just loud, you know what I'm saying? Just like whether, especially when they're on the other team, you know, so I, I had to learn how to do that, you know, because I, I, I did it when somebody, you could talk me out of my game. You could just say something to me and it was just everything just, you know, and that changed, you know, at Finley Prep because everybody there was after Division One scholarship, you know, and that was evident from the jump, even from like the coach, like the coach is not trying to get you to a, you know, he was trying to get the best out of you. And, you know, that's why the program was like that. So 
So was, yeah, the transition was tough. <laughs> was there any point that you thought, I don't know if I can do this, like I'm not cut out for this, it's too difficult? Or was it always like, do you know what, actually, I, I think I've got this? Um, After Lauenberg, I, I felt like I, get, I got anything. Like, after going through that stage in Lauenberg where there was times where I thought I was going to die, honestly. No, seriously, like, <laughs> there was times in Lauenberg where it was just like, yo, this is how I end. This is the end of my life. You know, I have, I told you I have a hundred stories, but, um, after that basketball was, it was tough, but it was just like, I can do it. Yeah. Like I got, I got, I got destroyed today in practice, but tomorrow I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll be ready, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So when it, when it came to, to going to college, obviously you ended up at, at Juco. It was, it was Lamar, yeah. Lamar right? Lamar. Yeah. So how, how, how did that kind of come about? Like what were your options when you were sort of leaving Finley Prep? So when I left Philly, I verbalized to a school, um, Texas State, San Marcos, which is um, just outside Austin, Texas. It's a Division One. Um, but so after so after the summer in Vegas, I flew back to Chicago. I didn't want to go home, so I flew back to Chicago. You know, during that summer, like that space and um, Luol, I was staying in Luol, staying in Luol's family and. You know, working out, staying in shape. I didn't want to go home because there was nothing really here for me. Um, and Texas State um, were very interested in me. And I'm trying to remember. Yeah. So everything that everything that um, they told, like that I heard about the school, I was like, shoot, this is the like other schools are interested, but this school was like, yeah, we want you. Like, you know, come. And it was just like, shoot, let's let's do. It. I, I didn't really care, you know. It was just like, I'm from Lauenburg, anything is good right now, <laughs> you know. So, so I um, I told them, yeah, and I was gonna fly there for a visit. And the day before I was meant to fly there, and they gave me, my, they got me my flight ticket and everything. I got a call from my um, Michael Peck, and he. He he he's he's on the he's on the phone and he sounds like he's I don't know if he's I don't know if he's in tears but if he's like just angry he sounded very angry and he's like oh God, I'm so sorry man I'm so sorry but you know they don't want you anymore and I was just like why is he calling me you know and he's like they couldn't they didn't want to do it so you know I guess they made him do it or you know I don't know. It was just so, at the time, I'm not thinking about basketball, I'm thinking about, so when you're an international student, I don't know how it is then now, but how it was back then is, you have this window to transfer your visa, you know, your student visa, and I had a week left. So this was meant to be done, you know, so for me, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have a week to find a Division One school, <laughs> and for me to sign with them, and then for them to transfer my visa from Finley Prep to the school, all in one week. So I need a miracle. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what am I gonna do? And I told my coach the situation is like, you know, let me let me make let me make some phone calls, let me speak to some people. And you can imagine like that limbo period where I'm just like, what am I gonna do? So obviously my mind I'm starting to think I'm planning to go back home. And next thing you know, my other coach called me and he told me, you know, that you know. There's a school in Lamar, it's a JUCO. And back then, JUCOs had like this stigma. You know, nobody wants to go to a JUCO or like JUCO. 
I'm coming from Lorenburg. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, that's why Lorenburg for me was a huge blessing because so many, and I'm, there's a kid that was with me in Lorenburg and I asked him to come to Juco with me and he was like, no, Juco. And I'm like, bro, anything's better than Lorenburg. So it's in Lamarck, Colorado, which is like a cowboy town. It's very, you know, country type, you know, town. And you can even smell the manure. I didn't care. It was just like, let's do it. Like, like I can, if I can go there and make something of myself and then end up with a division one, sounds, sounds plausible to me because I'm coming from, came out of Lorenburg. So, um, went to Lamar and yeah, that's literally how I went to Lamar. Wow. And then, and at Lamar, yeah. like kind of, uh, so I know you, you led them to their, their first ever, the first ever tournament appearance, right? Was that in your second, yeah. was that in your second year? That was my second year. My first year struggled, you know, really? struggled like, yeah, I struggled because I had to make that transition from high school to playing against men, you know, playing against guys who were stronger, you know what I'm saying? Some of them came from division ones, you know, some, you know, it was, it was different, you know, so I had to make that transition and that took me probably like half a year and I started at Lamar probably in the second half of the year and so yeah, that's, but I didn't really have any schools looking at me and stuff, but I remember trying to leave Lamar. I, try, I did try to leave Lamar, but, I was, but then I think I spoke to, I think it was Lamar's agent, and he said, why are you trying to leave to go where? Like, and start all over again? Like, what if you stay? And I was like, okay, I'll stay another year. And I stayed another year, and it was a totally different experience. And yeah, we ended up going to the, um, the national tournament, and we ended up being fifth in the nation. Nice. Well, yeah. And so, did you have Division One schools knocking like throughout that second year, or did they start coming after the tournament run? Or, um, I had twenty-three Division One offers. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I had twenty-three Division One offers, and my coach was like, you know, he was, <laughs> he was like, he was telling me, "Listen, I'm going to turn off my phone because if like." When you touch and you play well on all, all national team, first team thing, whatever you call it. And when, when you go to that, you know, there's so many coaches there and they, like, you get a lot of looks, you get a lot of offers. And before Hutch, I had like maybe three or four offers. But when I went to Hutch, it was just, it blew up. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was at the tournament where I really like made a name for myself. Because I was playing against like the best Juco guys, you know, number one ranked Chipola and you know Midland College and all these like powerhouses, and you know that's where I made a name for myself. So you graduated from there in two thousand nine, right? So it was two thousand nine, yes. two thousand ten was your first season at St Bonds. Yeah, which means that also was the first. So two thousand nine was the first summer that I started filming for Hoops Fix. Uh, so that was yes. that was the summer that you came back. And obviously, at that yes. point, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea about basketball. Like, I had no idea we had players in the States. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> but what I do remember is just you turning up and just dominating in every single qualifier. And I was just like, who is this guy? Unbelievable. And then not only were you dominating, but of course, in uh, in Nottingham, you had that dunk, <laughs> which was, yeah. to this day, the first real poster dunk that I ever caught on tape as well. Um, but yeah, what are your memories of, of kind of coming back that summer as well? Because I don't, I don't think you were back very often, right? No. Again, you see, when I wasn't back, I was probably in Chicago um, working out or just trying to, I mean, it depends on what year it was. Just, yeah, just trying to 
go to that next level or trying to improve, you know. And so, yeah, that you mean that summer you talk, asking me about that summer? Yeah, 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 summer 2009. That summer, um, I was happy to be home because that was probably the first time I came home in, what, two years? Yeah, two years. So I was happy to be home and, you know, speaking to a lot of guys now and even back then, they were like, they were like, wow, like how much I changed and how much they didn't know that was the Lorenberg. It wasn't Finley forever. It was, I mean, it was, but that, you know, my mentality and who I was internally was totally different. You know, I really appreciated the little things and yeah, I was just, I was just on a different level mentally, you know, in terms of, in terms of life and in terms of basketball and how I, how I saw everything and you know, I saw everything differently. Coming back so, yeah. and coming back and sort of playing against some of the some of your peers like from the UK, obviously guys that you've probably grown up with or, or known of when you were coming up in the UK. Uh, that summer, did it really crystallise in your head how much better you were than than most of them? Kind of did it change anything for you mentally of just like wow, like I've you know being in the states has developed my game, or was it kind of like you knew you were going to come back and tear it up? Um, I knew, I knew I was. I knew I, it didn't feel like yeah, I'm one. No, I didn't feel like that yeah. because. I was already told before I went to America that I was good, even though I didn't really see or play against much of the guys here at the time. But I already, you know, I heard about, again, at Brixton, you kind of turn off that noise. You just focus, you know, it's just tunnel vision. So coming back and, you know, playing, you know, and doing well in the summertime or whatever, it didn't really, didn't make me feel like, yeah, no, I did <laughs> because I knew that that meant nothing yeah. for where I was trying to go, yeah. you know, and, you know, and even as, as I said, like every year was like a new beginning. St. Bonaventure wasn't what I'd already experienced at Juco, you know, because that's a different, you know, Division One is different. It's not the same as, as, as Juco. So, yeah, so... Being around was fun. It was more fun than anything. It wasn't more. Yeah. It wasn't more like an ego trip or, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm bad. It, like, no, it wasn't. It was more fun than anything. And then when you look look back on your on your two years with St. Bonds uh, and sort of playing Division One basketball, kind of, how do you look back on on that sort of stage of your career and your memories of of college? That was, I think, Division One was where I started to notice a pattern in terms of how. Like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Because coming from the UK, I thought I knew this much basketball, but I realized I didn't know that much. You know, and then I went to Finley Prep and I was like, oh yeah, I, I know now. And then I didn't know when I went to Juco. And then I went to Juco and then go to, you know what I'm saying? It was just that same. And when I got to the same Bonaventure, I thought I knew how to work hard. And that was, for me, I, <laughs> I, I knew I didn't know everything. But in terms of giving your everything, I didn't think, and I still believe, I don't believe, I don't believe you can go higher than that. Like the work we did, the intensity, the, the time frame of workouts, practice, you know, stuff like that, that was the peak. And I don't think that, and I've spoken to some guys, you know, I spoke to Luol in the NBA and he says college workouts, it, it's not, there's nothing harder than that. Nothing. Really? Yeah. So, but yeah, but my two years there was, you know, it was, it was cool because I chose a small school for a reason because of Juco and I only had two years. So I wanted to just focus. I had, so I had um, Illinois State. I had um, 
the school in Florida, Florida, um, Southern Florida, yeah, yeah, USF, Southern Florida. I had a couple of, you know, UNC Charlotte. I had a lot of, you know, big population, like student body schools, but I wanted to go to a small school. And St. Bonaventure was the smaller, smallest one. So I ended up going there just to focus. And it was, it was, it was, it was intense. <laughs> did you end up leading the nation in minutes as well? Yes, I did. It was um, the Iron Man. It was between me and Kemba Walker. Oh, and really? yeah, I, and it was I think it was CBS Sports that does it. it, it yeah, it was it, it was CBS Sports because that was my that, yeah. that was my first ever mention in a mainstream press outlet because they reached out to me and I'm like, why are you contacting me? Like, I started some website a few, <laughs> week, a few weeks ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, we're writing this piece about Ogo being uh, you know college basketball's Iron Man. Can you give us a quote or whatever? I can't even remember what I said, but uh, but yeah, no, that but... was that was the first that was the first bit of sort of mainstream press coverage that I ever got as well. Um, but yeah, crazy. So yeah, you led led the nation in minutes, and it was between you and Kemba. Yeah, it was between me and Kemba, which which player means more to his team, and yeah, I, I ended up winning it. You know, so we had a five overtime game, a four overtime game, a three overtime game, two overtime game, and a one overtime. Like we had like we had games where it was just we only had like seven players. My sec my my senior year because. I mean, I don't want to get into that, but <laughs> um, but yeah, we only seven players, and so I had to I had to play, I had to play, you know, full on minutes, and it, it was tough. It was very very tough, but you know, yeah, it was it ended up being a, a a good thing to remember. So then, when it came to uh, turning pro and that whole whole process, kind of like you know, were you pretty much set that you were gonna? that you were going to turn professional, you, you knew that that was the route that you wanted to take and kind of what was the process of finding an agent and kind of making that jump? I think you signed in Cyprus for your rookie year, right? Yeah, so um, I had no idea. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no idea. I just wanted to finish college. You know, I just wanted to be, I just wanted to move on. Move on to what? I didn't know. I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to see what was, what was next. And at the time, I mean, anybody who graduated around that time, you know, you get like a, a thousand um, inbox messages from agents <laughs> all from all over, you know, Hey, I want to represent you. Hey, we all, we represent this player. Hey, this, this, this. and I just did what I knew. So I went with Loire's agent, big mistake <laughs> because just because he's a good agent for Loire doesn't mean he's a good agent for me, you know, and you know, you learn these things, but um, yeah. So I, that summer was my first year with GB, I believe, or my second year with GB. I think your first, no, it was your my first, second your year. First, with... Yeah, your first summer, your first summer with GB was after your junior year, right? I think. Yes, yeah. yes, and my second year was in Slovenia, I think, or Lithuania, one of them. But anyways, I remember. Um, I'll tell you this. I remember when I. It was right after Eurobasket, and it was around August, September. And I'm just like, you know, usually I'm ready to go back to school. You know, some somebody sends me my flight and going to school. But at this time, like I've graduated, so what do I like? What do I do? <laughs> and so I, you know, I call my, I was like, oh, should I have an agent now? So I call my agent. I'm like, you know, what's going on? Like, where do I go? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't know yet, but you know, I'll get back to you. And he got back to me the next day, and he's like, oh, go, there's a team in Cyprus. Take it, or you're gonna be waiting till December. I was like, 
like what I thought the agent was meant to work for me, not the way he's talking to me. So I'm like, nah, I like, I don't, I don't want to go to Cyprus. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to go to Cyprus and I want more money. <laughs> you know, so, so <laughs> it's, it's so funny, but this is literally what went on in my head, you know. So, um, um, he's like, listen, if you don't take this, you're going to be home. You'll be waiting until December. And I'm thinking to myself, shit, like, I have to take it, you know, because so I ended up taking it like out of fear, <laughs> literally, seriously. And I ended up, in, that, and that's how, literally how I ended up in Cyprus. Wow. Yeah. And then was that, did you enjoy the experience of Cyprus in the end or was it, did it not end up being a positive one or? Uh, my first year, it, it felt like Laurenburg at the beginning. Really? Because, yeah, in your mind, you're thinking professional basketball like you're coming from college and you know college locker rooms you almost judge things by you know the aesthetics like you know how the arena looks so you know what i'm saying like how the locker room looks and when i first walked to my locker room in cyprus it looked like <laughs> it, the red it looked head. almost like no no like it looked way worse it looked like <laughs> a like you see the um you see the name of this thing you see the Oh, I've forgotten the name. It just looked, it just looked, it just looked terrible. The locker room, and I'm thinking to myself, well, as soon as I walk in there, I'm, ex- you know, I'm expecting like carpet and you know the team logo, you know, and etched into the carpet. And I go there, and I'm just like, it, it looked like Laurenburg. Just, I just had to start having PTSD, <laughs> flashbacks, <laughs> yes. and I'm just like, yo. But then I realized it wasn't fake when I got my first check. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is real. This is how it happened. And <laughs> so you know, I ended up playing games. And, you know, that was a different experience. Like, how rowdy. Like, the crowd, they can come on the court. Like, you can end up fighting a fan. Like, it was just mad. And sometimes you have to take the ball out on the other side because they'll spit on you. Or they'll, they'll throw beer on you or something. Yeah, so you have to ask the ref, can I take it out on that side? <laughs> yeah. So my first year was like, uh, it was just like a welcome to Europe. Yeah, you know, it was just I didn't, I I didn't know what to expect. You know, coming coming from college again, it's almost it's, it's crazy. As I said, every step, you you have an ego coming out of college. So you almost you know you think you're the man, or you're ready for these Europeans. I've heard it's not even as tough as college. They're not going to be working me harder than college, and you realize yeah, that's the least of your worries. <laughs> you know, so. So yeah, that was my first experience. So yeah, in amongst all of this, uh, obviously there was the GP. Uh, you ended up, yeah. So you got your first, first, <laughs> you got your first, <laughs> you got your first, you got your first call up um, after your junior year. So that was, so that was two thousand and let me think about this, two thousand and ten. Yeah, I think uh, because then you would have gone to, you went to, yeah, two thousand ten was your first call up. You went to Eurobasket 2011, Eurobasket 2013. Um, so obviously, this was kind of all around the Olympics, around the Olympics and stuff. You're playing under, under Chris Finch in those those first years. Kind of, can you talk about your experiences with the national team, like you know how it felt for you to get your? Because you didn't you didn't represent uh, GB or England at any junior level, right? Like it was you you just jumped straight into the seniors. So, um, as a like, so when I started improving and people started to know, I was like I was like. Coming up before I went to America, um, when I was playing with the men's and under 18s or under 16s. Anyways, when I was playing, 
I played. I did. I did one workout for England, and I absolutely destroyed it. Like I played so well, you know. And I was thinking to myself, shoot, like they're gonna have to call me up. Like I, I played so well, and I didn't get a call. <laughs> I didn't get. Yeah, I didn't get a call. And who was the know, who was the coach then? Do you remember? I don't. Nah, okay. I, I didn't know anyone there, yeah. which is how I I loved it. I loved it like I didn't care who it was. I didn't. You know, everybody was just a face to me. You know, yeah. which is how I wanted it. Um, and I didn't get a call, and I was just like. I, when I spoke to Jimmy, Jimmy was like, this is how they do, son. You know, this, <laughs> you know, so I, I wasn't surprised. But anyways, it was good for the experience. Um, so, yeah, I didn't get that. So when I got the GB call, um, I was already in America. And I think I think I got an email from Ron. He's not with GB, Ron Latilla. Yeah. And, you know, he's the one that told me about it. And, you know, I saw the guys on, on the list. And I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. Like, familiar with these guys. And we'll get better and blah, blah, blah. And, so yeah, it was it was I, I I did the futures thing. Oh yeah, of course. And, yeah, of course. Yeah. So that was that was that was fun. Like the whole that whole summer was like was fun for me. You know, I didn't I didn't, I don't remember having fun like super fun like summers like that. I mean, I had the summers with Lou, and you know, of course, we had fun in Chicago. But in terms of like you know, like just competing and you know what I'm saying, like organized basketball, and I didn't have that. I never had that before. Yeah. Before this time, yeah. So yeah, because that 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 yeah, you just just reminded me because that 2010 was the first year they run a futures program, and mm-hmm. uh, you guys went to France because I actually came with mm-hmm. you. I remember. So yes. and on that squad, it was like there was you, Justin, Matthew, Ashley. Who else was there? Andy Thompson was he playing as well? And then uh, yes, he was. And there was Andy Thompson was there. I think who else was playing? But yeah, that was a, that was a pretty stacked, pretty stacked uh, sort of younger squad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then yeah. kind of like, and then yeah, obviously, and then by next summer, you were heading to to Eurobasket to compete in the European Championships, uh, which I think yeah. was 2011 was the group of death, right? When you had like, like I th- I'm sure that it was that year where there was like, let me have a, I think I'm, I did take notes beforehand. We had yeah, Lithuania, Turkey, Spain, Portugal, Poland. Yes, I remember Poland. So yeah, yeah, I remember that. So, what were your memories of, of, of you know playing for GB that time? And obviously, I'm assuming the whole time, did you kind of have one eye on the Olympics, thinking you know this is, you know, I'm I'm working towards you know playing London 2012 ideally. Okay, so um, <laughs> GB for me was literally like a roller coaster, like this, literally. My first impression of GB was excitement. This is what I want to do. This is great, wonderful, lovely. Then. It went sour real quick, like real, real quick. Um, initially, you know, with Chris Finch, it was like I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't even meant to play on the men's team that that summer, like when I did the futures. So my 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 year with the G, with my first year with GB was my first year with the men's. So when I did the futures, did the he told he called me up from the futures to the men's, and. It was all daunting to me, and I was just thinking, "Oh, this is good for experience." I didn't know I'd end up starting. I ended up like being a start, uh, starting point guard for, for GB Men's, and it was me, you know, Nate Ranking, Luol, Pops, and I can't remember who was at the five. Anyways, someone Robert else. Archibald. might have been. No, Rob wasn't with us that year. It was um, might have been Joe Freeland or Eric. I don't know. Yeah. Someone, someone else at the Freeland, five. I think, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, quiet, guys. So, um, yeah, so this was like, 
it was exciting for me, but it was also like, shoot, I'm playing with like pros. Like this is like, not just like talking about NBA guy and, you know, EuroLeague guys. And I'm just like, shoot. like. And this was while you were you still know. in college, of course, as well, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, one, yeah. so so I got my first taste of European basketball, and I was I was hanging. And Lu like Luau was always like you know Luau and Pops were like mentors to me, and they were like, "Yo, listen, like just do what you do, like play freely." And it was like it was cool. So um, that year went by, and then the following year, this is when I think Ben Gordon was with us, and this is when we played in Slovenia. Or Lithuania. Well, I keep saying both, both of those two, but um, and it was different. Like the whole, the whole everything. Now this the funny thing is there was more pressure the year before because that year was where we had to meet the requirements. Where we had to win our group. So the year where it was because we had to win our EuroBasket group. Yeah, yeah, that was when you had to qualify. Yeah, yeah. So 2010 yes. was the qualifiers when you toured around the UK and you played Liverpool, Birmingham, Newcastle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. And the, and in order to qualify for the Olympics, we had to win our group, and our group had Macedonia, <laughs> we had um, Hungary, Bosnia, Bosnia, Hungary, and who U- was the other? Was it Ukraine? Possibly. And Ukraine, yes, yeah. And I remember that because when we, Matthew was on the team too. Matthew was like, you know, with the with the um, the senior men's my first year too. So yeah, so when it was when it came up to the to the to the games, there was more pressure. Yeah. But again, it was it was more like I have I have video, I have archives that I was looking through, and everybody was just joking around. It was free, and we were winning. You know, we were like. We ended up winning, and we were qual- we qualified for the um for for the Olympics. We did every- we met all the requirements for the Olympics. We were like cool. The following year, you would have thought that was the year where there was pressure, and that was that year didn't really matter. It did, but it didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like the goal was the Olympics, and we made it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That year, it was the coaching staff and me. It was just like a whole disconnect. It was just like whoa, like. No, you. I went there like with thinking, oh, it's gonna be like last year. No, it wasn't. Just like tension, and you know, as a young player, it, it, you know, it affects you. It affects how you. It's hard to keep it business because just like, hold on. I thought it was. I thought we were gonna. It was gonna be like last year where we were successful. You know. So, but anyways, it ended up being super weird. And funny enough, that's actually when, um, I started playing professionally. So after my after that year, that's when the Olympics happened. That's when the Olympics, the training camp for the Olympics. So after my first year professional, I said it from the first day. I don't know who I don't know if anybody remembers that I spoke to. I think I think I, t- I might have told Pops or Lou to the from the first day. I'm not gonna make the team. Yeah, I knew it from the from the first day, and um, they were like. Ah, oh, come on, stop! You know they were, we're so used to joking around. But I told him, "Yo, like, I, I can, like, I can tell just speaking to this guy, you know, Finch, speaking to him, I was like, this is not gonna happen for me this year." And lo and behold, I was right. You know, now um, playing like not knowing him prior to to the Olympic stuff, not knowing him, it was like it was good that way. Because I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know you. I just, I just do my thing. You know what I'm saying? 
But when because we were successful, I almost started to like open up, to, you know, open up to him, which was was like, oh yeah, like everybody's like, oh he's a dick, and I, to me I was just like, oh yeah, you know, he just lets me do do my thing. Big mistake because the next year it was it wasn't like that at all, mm. at all. Every little thing I did, let's say I passed to this guy instead of passing to this guy, or I miss a guy on a pass, he would just go like. There's no perfect game. Like, the one misses shots too, you know. But that whole situation, you know, when when they ended up picking the team, he called me in and he asked, and he told me, we still want you to hang around the team in case someone gets hurt. I'm thinking to myself, man, listen, now, at the time, GB was paying good money. <laughs> at the time, they were paying, you know, I'm, I'm first-year pro. I didn't have a lot of money. So I was like, shoot, you're paying good money. I'll, I'll, I'll stay. So I'm hanging around with the team. I'm... I'm I'm still like everything pre um, Olympic Village. I'm with the team. Yeah, because you kind Just of in... stayed on as a reserve, right? In case, in case. There yeah. Was injury. Yeah. And but I wasn't practicing. I wasn't allowed to practice because they had a team. They had their plays. So I'm just on the sideline, just you know, running up and down with a ball, you know, stuff like that. Tell you a funny story. Team USA game. <laughs> I wasn't meant to play that game. I um. I'm getting triggered right now. <laughs> but um, two weeks before that, I hadn't, so I hadn't played, I was out of shape. I didn't even have my, if I don't know if you've seen, I didn't even have my shoes tied when I was on the bench when he called me in. He called me in and I was just like, is he calling me to, to really play right now? And he's like, yeah, go in there because we, you know, we're struggling. And I was just like, I, he's really calling me to play. And I, I hadn't played. So it was just like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was, it was madness. So, that you know how that went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so after that, we played a game in France, two games in France. First game against the African champions. A lot of people don't, might not know this because, and I'll tell you why they don't know. Played against the African champions. That was at the time. What country was that? Tunisia. I don't know if it's Tunisia or Algeria. It was the, it was the African champions. They were wow. going to be in the Olympics. And I had a double-double that game. Now, that game I was prepared for. I had a double-double and so did Pops. And at the time, you know, this is when I, I probably started using Twitter. And GB didn't tweet about it. They didn't tweet about it. I'll never forget. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm the guy who didn't make the team and I had a double-double. Explain yourself. <laughs> And I remember very clearly Pops going to Finch and saying, this guy needs to be on the team. Yeah. Wow. And that's what, one thing I love about Pops because I remember he's the only one who actually, now, he's, I'm not going to tell him to, oh yeah, this guy, um, this guy shouldn't be here. This guy should. But Pops, Pops literally just, he stood up for me and I, I, I love him for that. You know? Yeah. So, but yeah, so I stayed on the team until somebody got, somebody got hurt, which they did, Mike Lensley. Yeah, but, he did his calf right, and they took him anyway. Because I'm really like, and, yeah. Did he, he, he how many games did he set out? He set out at least one, right? He ruptured his Achilles. He couldn't walk. He ruptured his Achilles. <laughs> yeah. I he his ruptured his Achilles a week before, and I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, Lou and Pop is telling me, "Yo, like, it's go time. Like, you're in. You're in. You're in there, bro." Nah. They said he, I spoke to Finch, and he was like. Yeah, we're going to give him a try. We think by the third game, he'll be ready. 
this is two weeks. So the third game is two weeks after rupturing your Achilles. Like I'm, I'm with Mike. Like I see this guy every day, and he's like this. Like can't walk. And I'm thinking to myself, like how is this possible? But they ended up trying him, like saying, yes, maybe he'll make it. So he played the first game and he had to get carried out in a stretcher. I remember very clearly he got carried out in a stretcher and I was just like, so they had 11 players. Unreal. When he had a London kid and, and even like, Justin didn't even come to training camp. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was painful, you know, even up to today, because that's something that will never ever, ever get like in his lifetime. Yeah. To have the Olympics in London, and we're from London, and then we have people who are not from—they're not from London. They're not from London, and they, you know, what I'm saying, they're representing us. Yeah. So it was, it was painful, you know. So that was, and then from then on, it, you know, GB was just like a, you know, like like my face now. It was just like, you know, because that was that right there was 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 so painful for so many of us and even for people who didn't want on the team who didn't people from brixton people like just basketball fans in the uk you know to watch team gb and they can't even pick five guys out who was like oh yeah he's from here he's from north london he's from manchester he's from yeah so that was you know it was it was it was, it was rough it was a rough experience crazy did it do it did yeah it, Obviously, the, the, so the next after that summer, you you went to Eurobasket 2013, and that so that would have been with, with Prunty, you know. Yeah. How did you find Prunty? How did you find the sort of the program after after the Olympics? It was a dial down, you know. It wasn't as it wasn't where it was. My in terms of I mean, budgets have everything. been budgets have been cut and everything else, right? At that yeah. Point, funding was being just, cut by UK Sport. And... Yeah, and I and even you know I feel like even for Prunty, he was still trying to figure stuff out too. You know, he's 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 a cool guy, but you know, he was just trying to figure stuff out. So that was his that was his first year and anybody know you know, going to something for the first time is it's not gonna be you know what I'm trying to say it's not gonna be what people expect or you know, because people are gonna come in there with a the mindset of how it used to be and it's totally different. But you know, but but it was cool, you know, it was for what it was, it was cool. You know, but again the 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 stain of the years past was still you know, the smell was still there, strong. How how do you kind of feel towards the GB program now? Now, I don't know, man, because I feel like I'm I'm a person who is hundred percent for the players. You know, I think I think the players are the toolbox. You know, they're the toolbox in terms of. Not just GB, but everything. Like, if the players are not being looked after, what then you're exploiting them. Simple as. You can call it what you want to call it. You can call it pride. You can call it for your country. If the players are not getting all their needs met fully, then it's an abuse. And I feel like, to some extent, that's what's happening. Mm. If I'm being totally honest. Because that's... Because you're basically trying to use that, you know, oh, play for your country, that kind of, you know, hey, you know, don't worry, you know, if you perform, then then this is going to happen. That's all nonsense because it's work at the end of the day. And these guys are putting their everything on their, their livelihood on the line. For what? Mm. 
you know, for what you're going to, you know, and, and when you're young, you know, you want to, it is something that you want to do and you want to um, get the exposure, quote unquote. But as you get older, you start to really see things for what they are. And you start to realize like in any other field of life, any other, any other business, you cannot, you, this is unacceptable. If you take basketball, the word basketball out of it, and you say, okay, these guys are going to do this, this, and this. They're going to risk this, this, and this. And they're going to get this, this, and this. <laughs> you realize that, yeah, this, nobody in their right mind says yes to that. Mm. So why, why should you ask basketball players to do that? If somebody gets hurt, are they going to pay for the surgery? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not totally. As you, get, as you get older, you start to see these things. And it's just like, like this is, it's, if you put it plain and simple on paper, this is abuse. You know, a, this yeah, shouldn't. There's definitely like it's it's clear. Like obviously, I I don't know if you were watching any of the um you know Deng and Deng and Pop's show. They've been doing their Instagram lives every, yeah. every week or whatever, and sort of they obviously made a number of different comments about the GB program and stuff. And I think it's just so clear there is a huge disconnect between the organisation and the players, and and there kind of always has been. And the tough thing now is, of course, that the program is completely different like the people that are involved with it i mean gb in itself almost doesn't really exist anymore um but all those people that are involved with it at the, mm. at the olympics aren't around anymore and it's just like and the turnover is just so high yeah. that it's just like well who are we actually talking about here because you know a lot of people that made those mistakes aren't around but then there's a new new people in that are also making mistakes and it's just there's just no con- continuity and there's obviously just a whole bunch of issues around around the entire thing it needs a, a complete overhaul um Anyway, I'm, I'm aware of time here, so so uh, just to kind of we've spoken about GB, I've done done college stuff. Just kind of, I guess, a brief overview of the pro stuff. One thing I obviously didn't want to touch, of course, was re- retirement. You kind of retired, um, okay. you know, in in your Instagram post that you did at the time. You obviously spoke about your struggles okay. with with depression, mental health. Um, okay. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Kind of what happened with your with your pro career? Kind of what made you want to step away, and then how you ended up sort of returning. Um, okay, so initially it was like uh, I started to ask myself, why am I still doing this? You know, and I feel like every player should ask themselves that, like, or write it down. Why are you doing this? And see it from a bird's eye view, you know, because initially basketball for me was I, I did it because it was fun and I loved it, but as I started to play professionally, it's, it became less and less fun. You know, it wasn't it wasn't as fun. It was strictly business, and I was fine with it. You know, but again, anyone playing in Europe knows sometimes you're gambling because you might not get your money. You know, you play in Europe long enough, you're gonna have a year where you don't get your money, or it's gonna be super late. You know, or you know you're gonna have to fight battles for your money. You know, it was it just it just it, it was very frustrating for me. You know. To go through that and i had a couple of other experiences with europe you know i signed with the team and i i mean I, I got to a point i didn't mind if the money was late i'm talking six months seven months late <laughs> yeah as long as i got it but then i had a couple instances when i never got it two years played yeah two different seasons where i didn't get my money up to this day you know so it's like okay so what am i doing this for am i doing this for you know, I'll do this for the love. I hate when people say that because it's business. You know, do keep what this is my livelihood. So, um, 
that was happening. And at the same time, it was just, I had a couple incidents with my team where, you know, <laughs> I mean, this, this it, it was all the stuff happening with my team. Like our fans were like making monkey noises towards the other black players on the other team, you know, and it wasn't the first time it happened. But it was just like so much was going on. I was thinking to myself like, like my whole life was boiled down to money. You know, because that's what I was doing for at this point. I wasn't playing for no championship. You know, like obviously you try to win because you're competitive, but I, I won a championship my second year. I won a cup championship in Cyprus. And after you win, it's like, hey. And then it's like, uh, <laughs> nobody in Europe, they're playing for a championship, but nobody's going to play for a championship for free. You know, so I was thinking to myself, the only reason I'm playing basketball is because of money, which is not a bad thing. But it's like, how long does this last? What happens when I can't play anymore? You know what I'm saying? What happens? And it, it put me in a place where I was just like, you know what? How do I? And this was this was actually happening early on in my career because I was thinking, I'm always I'm always looking ahead, looking ahead, trying to think, what am I going to do for? What am I going to do next year or two years from now? You know, I'm, I've always been like that, and I couldn't. I had this mental block where I couldn't see myself past, you know, basketball. Like I, I am nothing without basketball and I didn't sit well with me, you know, and I struggled with it and I battled with it. And I said, you know what? I think it's best if I remove myself because if I remove myself then I have no other choice, but to find something else. And me coming from Laurenburg, if I can get through that, I can get through this, <laughs> you know? So, um, it was tough. You know, my first year, I thought it was freedom because I was like, I don't have a schedule. I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to be in shape. I don't have to, you know, I can play basketball, but for fun, I didn't have to do anything. But then it it took me to a very dark place because I realized truly, like, I was just a basketball player. That's all I was, you know, and I don't believe that's true for any of these guys because just because they haven't found themselves or found something outside of basketball doesn't mean that they're, they're just limited to one, you know what I'm saying, to one thing. So I decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try a bunch of things that I, that I couldn't try before because I have all this time now. So I tried all kinds of things, you know, all types of, you know, just trying to find myself. And around that time, that's when Jimmy got sick, you know, and I was with Jimmy the whole step of the way and I watched his body, you know, deteriorate over a six month period. And initially, like eventually going to his funeral, when I went to his funeral, it kind of did something in me. And it made me feel like, you know, I don't fully know what I'm going to do when I'm done playing. I have an idea, but I can still play. I can still, I can still dedicate a year or two to Jimmy, you know, just, just for him. You know, and I spoke to my agent. I told him, give me one month because <laughs> I, I, I know I, I knew and I know my body that well that I know I only need this amount of time to get ready. And... After a month, I called him. I said, I said, what's up? And he's like, oh, there's this team you know, in Italy. I was like, let's do it. I didn't even ask about the money. I said, let's do it. Let's go. And, you know, ended up being the top team in Italy. You know, top team in the league. And I ruptured my patella tendon. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, you know, that's another experience, you know, going through surgery. That's, that kind of put into perspective everything I was thinking, you know, beforehand. You know, what happens if this happens? Because all, because you ask anyone, like I'm never hurt. I'm, 
you know, machine. You're the you know? man. So, you know what I'm saying? So for me to go through this was like really like humbling. And it brought me to a place where I was like, you know what? I'm glad I had those thoughts. I'm glad I took that year out. Because now I have other things, you know, that I've, that I've put in place. You know, because this basketball thing is fickle because as humans, we're fickle. You know, we're going to end up not playing one day. And, you know, in, one injury is around the corner. Young guys that, you know, that have never had any injuries, like they, you feel invincible. You know, but all it takes is one. All it takes, that's it, just one. <laughs> you know, and if you weigh that on a scale, like, like it's like, it's dangerous. You know, because one, one, one mistake, one short turn one anything and everything you've put your all into it goes up in smoke you know so for me that 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 almost put it gave me a goal in terms of like i want to get back like that was apart from you know trying to play at a higher level and trying to make x amount that was probably the only goal i had as a, as a professional basketball player to get back from my injury you know like Sorry. So, and this season, obviously, this kind of just finished prematurely. You obviously signed with the London Lions for a period. Did you ever end up suiting up for the Lions? Uh, for yeah, for like two or three games. Two or three games, and then you ended up going back yeah. to Italy again, right? Yes, I did. And were you there until this coronavirus stuff happened? So I was in Italy for like eight or nine days. And funny enough, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, a, you know, I always have stories, but <laughs> that type of situation. So long story short, um, as I was about to sign with the team, they decided to sign someone else. Yeah. Weird situation. Like it was, it was, I was kind of happy because it was, when I got to the situation, it had a little bit of Laurenburg smell in it, <laughs> you know? So when I got there, I was just like, I knew, I knew everybody on the team and they were like, yo, we're not. We don't know why you came to this team, but we're happy you came because they didn't have a point guard. And I was just like, okay. So <laughs> the team, it's in the south of Italy, which is more mafia type, you know, that, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so I was just like, oh boy. And I played in the south before, so I kind of knew what to expect. I wasn't blind. And I knew all the guys on the team because I played against them, ex-teammates, blah, blah. But, um, I got to the team and, you know, practiced well. Everything was cool. And then as I was about to sign, this was like in two or three days, mind you. No, like four days. I was about to sign. Um, hold on, let me take my headphones out. I think my headphones are lost. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Cool. Um, so um, as I was about to sign, they... Um... They, the the president decides he wants to sign a, a wingman. They don't have a point guard, and he just yeah. This is the kind of European stuff that happens sometimes. So at the time, I'm just I'm telling my agent like that's I wasn't even arguing. I've been asking why. I just said let me. I said cool, and I had stayed there for like another six days or seven days, just waiting for a flight, waiting for a cheap flight. And I ended up buying home, buying my own flight to get out of there because it's just like, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, and then two weeks later. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, so look, we're coming up on an hour, so I guess just to kind of to, to, to finalize, I guess the future for you, kind of how, how's it looking? Let's you know, let's just say that the twenty 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 one season comes back on time, is on time, and and starts. Do you think you're going to be playing basketball? Uh, 
And if you're not going to be playing basketball, um, what do you think is in, in your future? What do you envision yourself doing? Um, so I started my own business, but that's another topic. But um, <laughs> um, I don't like to talk about things when they're in the process. So, um, yeah, so I, I can't really answer that question. I don't know. You know, right now it's just, it's very limbo-ish for me, you know, but, you know, I'm definitely working on a bunch of stuff that I'm trying to, you know, trying to do. So, so yeah, we'll see, man. We'll see. Perfect. Oh, well, look, thank you so much for taking the time. It is uh, massively appreciated. No We'll have to do a part two at some point in the future and kind of go more Good into up, the, more into the weeds of the of the uh, of the pro stuff because we didn't really get there in this one. But yeah, thank you so much, man. It's Ooh. much appreciated. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos, and more.